Hear the word of the Lord. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus uh, were the first converts in Achaia. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these. And every fellow worker and laborer, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and uh, Achaicus because uh, they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, uh, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Holy God in heaven, we uh, give you thanks that you have revealed yourself to us. Though you are invisible, immortal, eternal, and incomprehensible, to us. You have come down to speak to us as children so that we might know you. Lord, our hearts are open. We long to hear from your word, uh, but we need your spirit to attend to us, to apply these words to our lives, and to point us to Christ, our Savior, that we might receive him with faith and follow him with obedience. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're in our final sermon on 1 Corinthians. And, uh, you know, we've taken 1 Corinthians in five chunks over five summers. And if you, many of you were not here five years ago. And so it's, you kind of lose a sense of what is 1 Corinthians about as a whole. And if you were to summarize 1 Corinthians as a whole, you'd probably say it's really about community. It's about how do you be a church family? How do you do that? How do you come together? You bring all these random people and be together as a church family. It's a huge part of our Christian life. And I think the question of community is a, is a huge question in our day, especially living in a place like Bellingham. Not only because, you know, Bellingham is a pretty radically individualistic kind of place, but also increasingly, you know, a lot of people want to move to Bellingham, right? Everyone's like, oh, there's a mountain biking, there's the mountains and the water, and it's like paradise here. And so people move from other parts of the country. They're moving up from California. And what that means is that many people coming here, they don't have extended families here. They don't have 
you know, decades of church life where they've, you know, I've been in a church for decades and I, these are my people who are like, I've known them since childhood. They've been through all the stages of my life. They're really like family to me. And so you take that and there's a real sense of isolation and you mix that with a culture that right now is, you know, many of you probably read the statistics about the kind of epidemic of loneliness, you know, because of social media. You know, we all have these kind of like virtual friendships and, and we don't really have people that are a part of our lives. And so I think uh, many of us come into church hungry for community, starved for community. And the truth is that, you know, as Christians, we're all a part of that world. We're all a part of Bellingham culture. We're all a part of American culture. So we have that individualism in us, too. We have that loneliness and that isolation in us, and we bring it into the church, and so it's not like we're a group of people who are like, oh, yeah, we got community figured out. All those individualists out there, they don't know what they're doing. We've got, no, we, we're trying to figure it out just as much as anyone else. We're, we've got the world kind of living inside of us. Well, the church in Corinth uh, was a church that was struggling uh, with community, struggling with unity. Actually, many commentators say that they had brought in a lot of kind of Corinthian culture into their church. That was what was causing a lot of their problems. And some of their problems looked like, you know, people in the church were suing each other and you had, uh, you know, they'd, when they'd have communion, the rich people would get drunk on the wine while the poor people were kind of waiting on them. And then they'd, the poor people would go off somewhere else and take communion isolated from the rich people. And so they had all these problems. And so the reason that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians is he's trying to hold together this community. That's actually often what a big part of pastoral work with Paul's a pastor is you're trying to hold together a community, all these different people that, that, are, that are coming together. And I think that the closing statements we just read from this letter of 1 Corinthians tie together a lot of the themes of what the letter as a whole was about. And so our topic this morning is what are the elements of a healthy community? of being a healthy church family. And there are four qualities that I want to draw out from this passage that I just read. This is what they are. Is that healthy communities develop leaders. Healthy communities face conflict. Healthy communities are places of love. And healthy communities are devoted to Jesus. Four things. Okay, they develop leaders, they face conflict, they're places of love, and they're devoted to Jesus. And I think these, each of these is really important. And, you know, these verses, maybe when I just read them, you, you might think, oh, these are the end of Paul's letter. They're kind of throwaway verses where he has some instructions for, for various church leaders and people in the church. What does that really have to do with us? I'll tell you, there's a lot of wisdom in these, this little passage that I just read. So I think it's valuable for us. So four things this morning about community. The first is this. Healthy communities develop leaders. In healthy communities, people are grow, who are start immature in their faith, and they grow up as Christians to, to be leaders, both in their homes, in, their, in the community, in the church. And, uh, and there are two leaders that are mentioned in this passage in particular that I want to I talk about are Timothy and Stephanus. You probably saw those names in the passage I read. And they each teach us something about leadership development. Okay, so first Timothy shows us the method of developing leaders. And the method that he shows us is imitation. The way that leaders are developed is through imitation. And uh, you, is by younger Christians watching more mature Christians, how they live their life, and copying them. And actually you see this in verse 10 where it says, 
when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. And now Timothy was a younger pastor, and you know, in the early church, you had the apostles who were the first leaders in the church, and then they started to die, and they were having to pass on the leadership of the church to younger pastors. And Timothy was one of the primary leaders that Paul was passing, passing his ministry to. He was uh, Paul. And so Paul, in these verses, he's looking out for his young apprentice. He's saying, hey, Timothy's coming to you. I want you guys to be nice to him. I want you to respect him. I want you to put him at ease, give him some rest among you. And Paul says that Timothy is imitating him. He says, Timothy's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Now, you might hear that and say, you know, well, it's not like he's copying everything Paul is doing, right? They both are doing the work of the Lord in a general sense. They're kind of like each other. But actually, if you go back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, Timothy's mentioned there, and I'm going to read to you what it says in 1 Corinthians 4. It's, Paul says to the, the church, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. So Paul says that being a Christian, had a, he had a whole pattern to his life. He had modeled that pattern for Timothy. Timothy had learned the pattern. And then Timothy was now going to the Corinthian church. And he's saying, imitate what Timothy's doing because he's following my pattern of life. Watch what he's doing and do it. Now, I'll tell you, there's a little dilemma with using imitation as a way to develop leaders. Because, you know, I, when someone becomes a mature Christian, one of the things that the Bible tells us is that your spiritual life should be private. You know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like, don't do your, you know, prayers before people so that you'll gain the praise of men and stuff like that. So, you know, many of us, a lot of, like, our richest experience of the Lord, it, no one knows about. They're not supposed to know about. It. And, you know, that's partly true. But it's also partly true that people need, might need to see some of our lives so that they learn how to be a Christian. You know, I remember when I was a, a new Christian, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know anything about Christian life. I was like, I'd love to like watch someone read their Bible and just, you know, someone's been doing this for decades and like, what, what book did they read? What, did they pray before? Did they pray after, you know? Like, do they write little notes about it? You know, how do they do it? I'd love to see all that because I don't know how to do it. And, I, and if I saw someone who's good at it, I would just copy them. Or, you know, some of you, you know, have, we have a lot of young families in our church. I know when our, our kids were being born, I was like, man, I would love to be in someone's house like a fly on the wall and watch, you know, how do they have dinner together, read the Bible together, how do they discipline their children. I wanted a model, a pattern. And we should understand that that's part of how maturity happens in the church is we see how each other live our Christian lives and we copy it. And, I, you know, I think uh, also that means that, you know, if you're a, a younger Christian, maybe you feel like, wow, I got a ways to grow. Find people in the church that are a model for you. And you say, you know, this is where I'd love to be in 10 or 20 years is like this person. Go ask them, like, what were some of the principles that you have really guided you in your Christian life over the last couple decades? And learn from them and just copy them. Just say, I'm just going to adopt that. You did that. It worked out. I'm going to do that too. And I'm going to follow that. And I'm going to do those things. And... Um, and so Timothy says that the method of leadership development is imitation. 
And, you know, I think one other thing, you know, about our culture, why this is a little counterculture, our, our culture tells us that, you know, each one of us is, you are a unique butterfly or something. You know, and no one's like you. And so, and so the main thing about being mature is not copying other people. It's about, like, being true to what's in your heart. And, you know, there's something, some of that is true. Like, you know, God made us all unique. And I think it is, there's value to get to know the uniqueness of how God made you. But that has to be paired with God brings mentors, models into our life. And we say, you know what, I'm going to model my pattern after the people who have gone before me. Okay? So that's the first part. Of, of leadership development. The second thing, that's what Timothy teaches us. Stephanus shows us the goal for leadership development. Like when someone is developed as a leader, they become a leader, what will they be like? And what we learn is the answer is servanthood. Leaders are servants. And you can see it in verse 15. Paul says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. Stephanus is one of the first people who came to the Lord in, uh, that Paul led to the Lord in Achaia. Achaia was a Roman province where Corinth was in this Roman province. So in the whole region around Corinth, Stephanus was one of the first people that became a Christian. Actually, we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that he was one of the few people that Paul, the Apostle Paul himself baptized. So Paul baptized Stephanus' whole family. And what had happened is Paul came to the city of Corinth to plant a church. And Paul went throughout the Mediterranean planting churches. And in Corinth, he spent a year and a half there. And I just want you to imagine that. You know, Paul comes to a church he, a city. He knows no one. And in a year and a half, he gathers a community together, tells people about Jesus, trains leaders and elders, puts them in place, and then he leaves. Which is a pretty amazing thing to, like, trust God that much. Like, God is going to care for these people. I'm, I've only been with them. You know, I've been at this church for 10 years. And you imagine, like, like a year and a half, I'm just going to be there, and that's going to be enough, and I'm going to trust that God's going to work in them. Well, um, well, Stephanus was a part of those early years where Paul was there. You know, it's kind of like, some of you know that in our church, when our church started 10 years ago, we used to meet in a theater uh, downtown. It's called Bay, Bellingham Academy of Arts for Youth. And for, for a year, we met in this little theater. And there's probably 30 people in the church now who are like, oh, yeah, we were in the, we were in the church during the, the theater years. Well, that's what Stephanus was like. He was like, I was in the cor- church in Corinth. They didn't have a building yet. They didn't know, you know, we're just scrapping things together. And I was there in the early days with Paul. And now... He's grown into maturity, and he's become one of the leaders of the church. And Paul is saying, I want you to honor Stephanus. You see what it says there in verse 16? Be subject to such as these, to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and uh, Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Stephanus might even be an elder in the church. You know, he says, be subject to Stephanus. What's the defining quality of Stephanus that made him a leader in the church? What does it say there? The second part of verse 15. They have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. They are servants. And what Paul esteems in the church, what makes you a leader? Who are the people that should be given respect and be given, like, you know, obedience and be given, you know, we should make as our leaders? It's not that they're charismatic. 
It's not even that they have a ton of knowledge about the Bible or theology. That's not the defining thing. It's not that they're outgoing or even that they're visionaries. The most important fundamental quality is that they are servants of people, servants of Christ. And, uh, and so the goal of leadership development is that people would grow to learn to be servants. And which means that, you know, leadership in the church is upside down from the world, right? It means you want to go up, you want to be a leader in the church, you don't put yourself above people, you put yourself below them. And why is that? Why does the leadership in the church have to be that way? Because what did Jesus say? Jesus says, the Son of Man came. And, the word, you know, the title Son of Man, when Jesus says, I'm the Son of Man, that comes from Daniel chapter 7. It means like the King of the Universe. He's like, when the King of the Universe came, the Son of Man, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So that is our model for leadership, is our King is a servant, so the leaders in the church are servants as well. So a huge part of a healthy community is, is its leadership, and the leadership comes through a modeling and the imitation of a Christ-centered life, and men and women in the church become servant leaders in the church. But, you know, I'll tell you, one of the main problems in the church in Corinth is that instead of the leaders being marked by servanthood, they were much more marked by ego. And uh, people wanted to feel important in the church. And that was causing a lot of division in the church. And Paul had to confront this problem. And so that leads to a second quality of healthy community. It's not only that healthy communities develop leaders, but second, healthy communities face conflict. Healthy communities face conflict. And, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning the Corinthian church was fractured. And... Uh, there were a number of factors that played into that. One of the, the main issues was that a lot of people in the church had identified with certain teachers who were like their favorite teachers. And some people say, you know, Peter's my favorite preacher. And other people say, Paul's my favorite preacher. And other people say, Paulus is my favorite preacher. And then some people would be like, oh, yeah, you guys like Peter, Paul. We like Jesus the best. As if, you know, the other people didn't like Jesus. They're like, Jesus is our favorite teacher. And so because of their association with these different leaders, they created these different parties and factions in the church. And, of course, you know, that hasn't gone away. That's true in the church now. People say, Luther is my favorite teacher, Calvin or Tim Keller or the Pope. Or, you know, everyone has the person that they associate with, that they're on their team. And the question is, is our bond with other Christians based on Christ or whether people follow the same teachers that we follow? Now, this was causing a major conflict in the Corinthian church. And actually, the main two teachers that they had a faction about was their first two pastors. So uh, the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned, he planted the church. He was the first pastor. He went on, and a second pastor came named Apollos. And so there were people in the church who would say, you know, we don't listen to Paul. Our favorite person, the pastor that we listen to, my pastor, is Apollos. And what's fascinating in this verse is look at what Paul says in verse 12, how he speaks into this situation. Now concerning our, verse 12, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. And I have to make a couple of comments about it. You notice how that verse begins? Now concerning. And if you are here last week, you know that 1 Corinthians was largely a response to a letter that church in Corinth had sent to Paul. And they had a bunch of questions that they were asking Paul. And so the second half is 1 Corinthians. There's six times that Paul says, now concerning this question, here's my answer. Now concerning this, here's my answer. Here's another one. 
where he says, now concerning you guys wanting Apollos to come to you, here's my answer. And so apparently the Corinthian church says, hey, Apollos is our favorite. Will you send him to us? So here's Paul, who's in a situation where he's got a church that's not really listening to him. And they say, Paul, we don't prefer you. We, we like listening to Apollos. Can you send him to be our pastor again? And how does Paul respond? He said, yes. I'll send Apollos to you. Absolutely. Now, it's inter- Apollos doesn't respond the same way. You see again in verse 12 how Apollos responds. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you, with the other brothers, but he was not at all It was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has an opportunity. So Paul says, I'm not going to this church that has this party spirit and they think I'm their favorite pastor. I'm not going to feed into that. I'm going to stay away and I'll come when the time is right. But Paul says, let's bring Apollos in. Let's face the conflict. And he says, I want to visit. Let's get everyone to the table and face one another and work this out. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of the conflict. And there is a profound security in Paul that allows him to do it. He's not defensive. He's not, you know, saying, oh, we got this division. You like Apollos more than me. He's not afraid of any of that. He walks into the conflict. Um, And you might say, you know, where does that kind of security come from? Because some of you, you might say, you know, I don't walk into conflict. When there's an issue, I'd rather pretend it's not there. I'd rather just not give any attention to it, and hopefully it'll just go away. How does Paul have the kind of security that he can walk into the conflict? Well, I think the answer is earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about his ministry in Apollos, and he says, you know, I planted the church. It was like a seed. Apollos watered that seed, but it was God who gave the growth. And he says, you know, the person who sows and the person who waters, they are nothing. It is God who matters. And so it's because he believes that God is present in the community that he says, all right, even though there's all these conflicts, there's all these fighting, there's people who are suing each other and they like different pastors, we'll sit down and have the conversation because God is here and he's present. And uh, God is the one who is holding this church together. And I'll tell you, this is exactly the same for us. You know, if you're a part of this church and you say, you know what, I want to be a part of, or this or any church, and you say, I want to be a part of a church for a long time. I want to spend years I want to really develop deep relationships. I want this to be like a family to me. Someone is going to offend you here. Someone's going to make you really mad. Someone's going to say something you don't like. And, uh, and most people, when they're in conflict with someone, they just write them off. And they say, you know what? I'm just done with that relationship. The thing that gives us the security uh, to face the people with whom we're in conflict is we believe that Christ is here. He is reconciling all things in heaven and earth. And if he is here, then we can come and face one another. He's the one who is holding us together, even if we feel anxiety and fear. So, two things so far. Healthy communities develop leaders. Second, healthy communities face conflict. But, you know, some of you, I know some people might say, oh, yeah, I run away from conflict. There may be others of you who are like, you know, I don't run away from conflict. I, I run into it. I love telling people what I think and give them a piece of my mind. And you're a little like, okay, maybe you need a little, be a little less conflict, a little less confrontational. So point three is for you, if that's you, is that health communi- healthy communities are also places of love. Places that face, com- face conflict, but also are places that are, that are um, shaped by love. 
And I saw a, a quote this week from uh, David Brooks. David Brooks is a, a New York Times columnist. He's really thoughtful kind of cultural commentator and uh, he's written a new book called The Second Mountain where he contrasts what he calls tribalism versus true community what we're talking about of what does it mean to be a community what's the difference between tribalism and community this is what he says tribalists seek out easy categories in which some people are good and others are bad They seek out certainty to conquer their feelings of unbearable doubt. They seek out war, political war or actual war. As a way to give life meaning, they revert to tribe. Tribalism seems like a way to restore the bonds of community. It certainly does bind people together, but it is actually the dark twin of community. Community is connection based on mutual affection. Tribalism the sense that he's using it here, is connection based on mutual hatred. Community is based on a common humanity, tribalism on a common foe. Tribalism is when people are bond together and say we hate the same people. It's built on hatred, it's not built on love. And uh, I'll tell you, there are many people forming tribes in our culture right now. There are not many forming communities. And what Jesus envisions in the church, what he is doing through communities like ours and churches all over Whatcom County and all over the world, is something that is unique in the world. It is something that is different. And I love how Brooks says that the defining quality of community is mutual affection. It's love. Love is the thing that bonds together communities. And of course, if you've read 1 Corinthians, you know that love is a huge important theme in 1 Corinthians. Maybe the most famous words ever written about love are in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, where Paul says, if I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. And he goes on. It's these beautiful words about what love is. And you see how in these final words about in this letter of 1 Corinthians, love is one of the, the dominant notes in, in, to this fractured church. Look at what it says in verse 13 in the passage before you. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And then in verse 19, listen to the affection, the mutual affection. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the churches in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So the early Christians, they kissed each other. Actually, in the second century, they, it had been formalized into the worship that in order to take communion, all the Christians would kiss one another. And so today, as we take communion, we're going to introduce a new, uh, new practice. No, we're not going to do that. Okay. Someday we'll get there, okay? But you see, you see the tender affection. These people are like brothers and sisters. Fathers and mothers, they love each other. And then you see the final words of the whole letter. What is the last thing in this whole letter? Is final is this personal statement from Paul. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And which is amazing that Paul, here's this pastor. He's got this church 
that's being really critical of him, not listening to him. This church is fractured. And Paul's really different than these Corinthians. You know, Paul grew up, you know, he was a, he was a Pharisee, a Jewish Pharisee uh, before he became a Christian. And these are all former pagans who, you know, from Corinth and different parts of the world. And he says at the end of the day, listen, I love you. I, lo- I love you. I'm your pastor. I love you. And I know that it's simple, but what makes a community is love. And love should actually be the motivation. Why do we face conflict? When we got someone that, that offended us or, or hurt us or did something wrong, and you're like, I just can't let this go. Why do we go sit down at the table and face them? It's not because we want to give them a piece of our mind. That's not why. It's because we want to gain them back. We don't want to lose the relationship. And so love and facing conflict are not at odds with each other. Now listen, there is a reason why communities like what I've just described are so scarce in this world. It's because this is not natural for us. You know, if if anyone, you know, in Bellingham says, you know, I'm going to start a community, by golly. And I'm going to get some different group of people together that don't even know each other. And we're going to, and I'm going to help the younger people mature. And we're going to face our conflicts with one another. And it's just going to be built around love. I guarantee you, it doesn't work. People don't even try it. They know it doesn't work. It's immensely, this does not happen in humanity. This is not natural for us. The only thing that can create a community like that is the supernatural grace of God in Christ. It is not possible within us. It is not possible within our flesh. And so that's our last and final point, is that healthy communities are ultimately devoted to Jesus. And you see that there in verse 22 at the end of this letter. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And you might think that's kind of a strange way to end a letter. If anyone's not a Christian, they're cursed. You know, why is he saying that? Well, what Paul is saying is that there is only one thing that holds our community together. And it is love for Jesus. And that means that all different kinds of people, and we all got different kinds of sins and problems and all different kinds of gifts and passions, we can come together and be a family here. But we can never lose sight is that he is the one who is holding us together. We cannot hold ourselves together. And to be the kind of church where new Christians are growing up into maturity and becoming leaders in their homes and in the church, to be the kind of community that faces conflict and works through it with grace and truth, to be the kind of community that is marked by love, the only way we can be that is if people walk in these doors and it is clear the grace of Jesus Christ is here. And if the grace of Jesus is here, we will be the kind of community that is so scarce in this world And yet, the kind of community that we all long for so much. But it won't be because of us. It will be because of him. Because he is here. And that is our only hope. Let's pray together.